There's only one nation, Raider Nation. You're listening to Silver and Black Tonight on the Mightier 1090. Welcome back. Happy and Merry Christmas Eve to everybody out there. This is Silver and Black Tonight here on the Mightier 1090. Scott Branson, Maurice Moten with you here to talk a little bit about Raiders football to wish you and yours a happy holiday season. So much to get to. This is a jam-packed show coming up. On the show, two guests tonight, Jason Fitz from ESPN Radio, ESPN Sports Center Digital, and of course, a huge Raider fan. We're going to talk to him about sort of what ails Raider Nation. Raider Nation rooting against its own team. The Derek Carr Civil War continues. We're going to talk to him about that. Then in segment two, we're going to switch our attention to the Denver Broncos. The Raiders, of course, playing on Sunday against the Broncos at home at Allegiant Stadium. Benjamin Albright, our good friend, NFL insider and host of Broncos Tonight on KOA Denver, He'll be with us, and then later I'll subject you to my annual Twas the Night Before Raiders Christmas. Mm-hmm. Mo's going to have to listen to that on the air, so he's, he's getting ready for that. But, Mo, I mean, so much going on this week. The Raiders get back on the winning track. They pull to 500. They have a chance at the playoffs. It's a slim chance. they got to win out. Uh, news, Jonathan Abram out for the season with another shoulder injury. So much going on for this team as they get set to wrap up what has been just an, uh, the only word I can use, tumultuous 2021 season. Let's add in Rich Gannon talking about wins <laughs> as the most important QB stat, and people are now coming at Rich Gannon for that, and they're making it uh, Rich Gannon versus Derek Carr situation it, it is nuts on social media right now I, i've i've been kind of laying low because you know i got a lot of stuff going on in the background but i just can't even keep up with all the conversations going on on raiders twitter right now yeah and it's it's strange and that's why we're gonna have fits on to talk a little bit about that because he he dm'd me this week and he's like man what is going on out there why you know what is and so i said well you got to come on the air and talk about that because uh you know he's obviously a passionate lifelong raider fan and um, although he's emotionally invested, like like all fans are, he's also an objective media member. And he talks about and he talks to everybody out there and he knows a lot more about other fan bases and kind of what's going on. So that's why I wanted to bring him on. But, Mo, let's return uh, to this past Monday night, the, the, the delayed game Raiders against the Browns. And I, I said, listen, a W is a W. We said this with our good friend Evan Grote on his podcast this week, too, as we did a roundtable with him. Um, but there's no such thing as a bad win. But yet we had a lot of Raider fans that seemed like it was disappointing that the Raiders, <laughs> despite a depleted Browns team, despite a depleted Raiders team, that they actually won. I, I, is, is, this, is this just the result of like PTSD from this season? <laughs> I think it's a multitude of things, but first and foremost, I think, and I said, I tweeted this, I think a lot of Raiders fans actually would prefer the team to bottom out so that Mark Davis hits the reset button on everything, not just, Mm. maybe not the roster, but more so the quarterback. I think this is more so about Derek Carr. Yeah, and I get that too, but I, I, you know, I... I've, I've ventured into the waters, Mo, right, about the Derek Carr thing. And I said clearly in a piece up on VegasSportsToday.com and also on this show the last couple of weeks that I thought an amicable divorce was probably the best thing for both sides. And that's not a, a knock against Derek Carr at all. That was a, hey, he's been in this dysfunction for eight years. If he truly is what many people think, not all of us, but many people think as a top 10 quarterback, 
an A-plus quarterback, if that's who he is, if I'm him, I'm like, all right, I love the Raiders. I get it. You know, I'm a loyal guy. But let me try somewhere else. Let me try to get into a different building with a different mindset. And then for the Raiders, the Raiders have to think about the next three to five years. Are they going to build a team around a quarterback that will be entering 9, 10, and 11 seasons as a starter in the NFL and you kind of know what you have with him. I don't know the answer. I agree with you and what you've said over the course of the week that I think he's back. I don't think the Raiders are going to go out and change. I think Mark Davis is a loyal guy, especially he was to Gruden, and I think he is that way with Derek Carr as well. There's a personal relationship with there, and yes, it's a business, but I just don't see a better option. I don't see a better quarterback as much as Raider fans don't want to hear this, Mo, listen, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, awesome. Would be great in the silver and black. Although, if I'm them, I want no part of this team with its current offensive line. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And that's the other part of it. That these guys, they're not going to want to go to a team that's basically, I wouldn't say restarting, but an offense that's, as you would say, it's broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about that offensive line? You know, how are your weapons? Darren Wallace missed a lot of time this year. Who's your number one wide receiver? So I guess if it's Rodgers, unless he can bring Devontae Adams with him, then maybe, but still offensive line is still a question mark. One thing I will say about Carr, though, the only I believe Carr when he says he only wants to play for the Raiders. Mm-hmm. I actually believe him. He says a lot of great things on the mic, always says the right thing. But in this case, I do believe him only because he's been through so much with this team. He's He's been eight years. The other thing is I only think he changes his mind if he feels like the Raiders lowball him in the negotiations. Uh, uh, as we all know, Adam Schefter reported that he's going to approach the Raiders about an extension in the offseason. Let's say Mark Davis doesn't want to give him the number that he thinks he deserves. That is the only way I would feel like he's going to then feel disrespected to say all of the all the sacrifice I gave for this franchise and this is what you're offering me. Then I think it, it the, the passionate competitor in him is going to want to say, okay, that's fine. Set, go ahead, send me somewhere else, and we'll see how I do then. Yeah, I think that's the only way that, other than an upgrade, other than the Raiders finding an upgrade, that Derek Carr and the Raiders part ways. Well, and Derek Carr has made a lot of money over this course of this contract. When he signed it originally, it was the richest quarterback contract. Of course, it is no longer. And so he's doing well. He's a guy, I think, a little more level-headed. Will he take less to play for the Raiders? I think he would. If it's an insulting offer, no. <laughs> but I do think you're right. I think I think he's back, and I know that's going to – I mean, a lot of Raider Nation is going to push the apocalypse button immediately upon hearing about that. But, Mo, before we uh, bring on Jason Fitz here in a few minutes, I want to touch on something you mentioned at the beginning of, of the show, and that was on Thursday, Rich Gannon uh, inexplicably started tweeting about, hey, what's how do you best judge a quarterback, followed by the comment uh, when people were responding to him, he said, it's wins, right? It's about wins, who you have or who you don't have. And now people are insulting Rich Gannon saying, well, you had two uh, Hall of Fame wide receivers. Of course, they were both on the back end of their career. Um, What do you make of Rich Gannon's tweets? I think it could also be about Lamar Jackson, who made the Pro Bowl over uh, Allen in Buffalo, which I thought was completely ridiculous. But nonetheless, what do you make of Rich Gannon's tweets and the way Raider Nation's taking it? It, it's hard not to connect that to Derek Carr, being that you know, he is a former <laughs> Raider and he's kind of involved in Raiders Twitter from time to time. So I, I say I don't want to say what he meant to say or who he's directing those tweets at. But what I found interesting was he felt he says that he thinks that um, fourth quarter comebacks and game winning fourth quarter comebacks are overrated because he says what did your team what did you and your team do for the first fifty five minutes mm. of the game to always be playing from behind. Mm. So that that you've said strike, that before. You've said that before, have you I, not? I, 
I have. I said that's that's indicative of your team mm-hmm. not being that good and your quarterback having to save them. Now, credit to the quarterback for saving the team, but that right. means also your team isn't that good. So I, that's kind of a it's kind of an out for Derek Carr. But he did say that you know he he feels like wins are a quarterback stat. And I'll, and I'll say I'll read it just from his Twitter. He says, "Do you put your team in a position to win each week? The good ones do." So basically, he's saying if you have a record. A, a poor record as a quarterback basically you're you're not doing enough to put your team in position to win and mm. i know Derek carr supporters will fire back and say well the team around him was cruddy no defense this year his, his loses his head coach loses his lead wide receiver i get that i don't think q i don't think wins are necessarily a qb stat i think you have to examine it with context mm-hmm. you know how how much involved is your qb in in the wins and losses and and i think as he said the better qbs you know, pull out more wins than than allow the team to lose. But you also have to weigh in the fact that if the team around you is no good, then chances are you're going to lose a lot more games than you win. I mean, look at really quick. Look at Matthew Stafford right now. Look what yeah. he's doing in Los Angeles. Yeah. All right. Now we go out on the phone. We bring in our good friend, not a stranger to anyone in Raider Nation. That of course, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, also does a lot. ESPN Sports Center Digital. I mean, you can catch him all over the place. Grammy Award winner. Country music, you know all of that as well. But most importantly, a long-standing, lifelong member of Raider Nation. And Fitz, uh, thanks for being with us tonight here in Southern California. I want to talk to you because you sent me a message the other day. And we were talking about kind of just the state of Raider Nation and what happened after the Browns win. When we saw it looked like actively Raider fans rooting against their own team. What is going on on those Twitter streets out there? It's a weird spot to be in, and I don't really understand when Raider Nation, which has been such a welcoming place, like one of the best parts of being a Raiders fan is the love that Raiders fans have with each other. And, I mean, I've been lucky enough to tour all over the world. I've I've worn Raiders shirts and hoodies and jackets all over the world and had somebody that I don't know screaming, Raiders, from (laughs) across the street in foreign countries. Like, that's part of what brings this nation together and part of what's always mattered. And the crazy thing to me right now is that it feels like people have become so dug in on being right about Derek Carr one way or the other that nobody even finds joy in any of it. And, you know, it's funny. I've, I've had the opportunity the last a couple of days to host morning radio on ESPN, and there was a big Thursday morning, a big Derek Carr conversation. And off air, the other hosts were saying, well, man, you all must love Carr. And I said, no, have you ever looked at Twitter around Derek Carr? And my co-host, Alan Hahn, went down the rabbit hole and he's like, I can't believe I'm, I'm seeing this. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because we've become so divided on this one person that I think honestly, social media is starting to show the worst of the personalities. It's personifying the stereotype of the bad of a fan base instead of what it usually does, which is lift up the good. So you mentioned Derek Carfitz. I- I'm going to throw you right into the fire here. Where where do you stand? You can be honest with us. It's just me and Scott here. <laughs> <laughs> Raiders Twitter is not on with us, so it's just us three. Where do you stand with Derek Carr? Is it time for the Raiders to part ways with him? Do you think he deserves an extension? And as someone in the media, how do you think he's perceived? Do you think he's perceived fairly across most outlets or not? He's perceived as the type of quarterback that with the right situation around him could win a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Like, he has value. People really, people really like Derek Carr the person. People think Derek Carr, the quarterback, is good enough. Like, the hard part in this division is that we're looking at Patrick Mahomes. But that's a little like, at its time, looking at Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or John Elway. That You know, I, I remember watching John Elway 
you know, make my heart rip out and stop all over it twice <laughs> a year for much of my life, right? Like, uh, what we're looking at is one transcendent, oh my God, quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. It was such a perfect example of right place, right time, right opportunity, mentored by the right quarterback and the right coaching staff. Like, everything went right for Patrick Mahomes. And now, the, the Chiefs, I, I mean, it sucks to say this, they're set for the next 15 years, right? Like, that's, that's what they're going to have at quarterback. So now, we start looking in the mirror constantly and saying, what do we have? What we have is a quarterback that I don't think he's top 10. He's middle 10. He's not bottom 10. He's like, he's in that middle tier of he's, he's good enough. And I think when, you know, we saw it early in the season, when he has receivers he trusts and has good playmakers, he can play at an MVP level. When he doesn't, things get off the rails. And that's, that's the case for many quarterbacks. But I think the, the, the hardest part of the conversation is that it lacks content. Like, I'll ask everybody involved, okay, cool. If you're out on Derek Carr, who are you in on? Because mm. I remind everybody, from 2009 to 2016, every single quarterback drafted in the first round from 2009 to 2016, as of this offseason, is no longer with the team that they drafted. Them with. And last time I checked, Jet Media was shoving Zach Wilson down my throat a few months ago as <laughs> the answer for the Jets, right? Like, we don't even know if Trey Lance can play and the 49ers invested high draft capital in him. The one guy that's maybe playing well enough to win football games right now is Mac Jones, who's gone to a perfect situation. So mm. this conversation is Derek Carr. Like, where am I on him? I think if you address the rest of the football team, Derek Carr can win a Super Bowl. I believe that. Is he a guy that will lift a mediocre roster to the Super Bowl? No. Is he a guy mm. that can take a pretty good roster to the Super Bowl? I believe so. But the other part of it is when you're a franchise that's had one winning season in 16 years, you got to have a little perspective to just not wanting to be a double-digit loss team. Like, I think rolling the dice is much riskier than anybody wants it to be. Absolutely. Jason Fitz, ESPN, is our guest here on Silver and Black tonight. And Fitz, you mentioned... Obviously, the challenge, Derek Carr, the dysfunction that Derek Carr has faced as the quarterback of the Raiders. And then you look at this Raiders roster. Mo and I have been very clear that we don't believe a lot of Raider fans want to blow everything up. I think the Raiders have some pieces in place that they can build around. This is not a complete teardown rebuild at this time. Uh, and so if that's the case, you look at Derek Carr, where he's at, the money they'll have to commit to him, uh, even if it's at a discount, going into year nine, knowing that you have to build a team that's going to compete with the Chiefs for the next you know, 15 years, as you mentioned with Patrick Mahomes there. Does that change your thinking on what you do with Derek Carr? Or are they in a situation now where, man, unless something crazy happens – and somebody knocks on their door, i.e. an Aaron Rodgers, which I still don't think would happen because why do you want to play behind an offensive line that's not ready? Uh, what do they do? Do they do they commit and say, okay, Derek Carr, we hope you play 14 years and that you got five or six years left? I mean, I think that's, that's real. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, right now, I think if you're looking at it from Mark Davis' standpoint, the number one thing that I would want Mark Davis to do right now is figure out if he's blowing up the front off. Is, are we going to have a new GM? And if we're going to have a new GM, the conversation I would have with that GM, I wouldn't even bring up the name Derek Carr. I would, I would absolutely have a conversation with the GM about their vision. Pick the person that you think long-term can build the Raiders into who they need to be. Then, after you've hired the person that you think is the perfect football mind, then sit down and say, okay, who's the coach, and what do we think of Derek Carr? And, and if those conversations aren't done, like if, if the Raiders turn around and sign Carr today and hamstring their search for a coach or GM, I think that's a bad move. If they turn around and they make a GM or coach 
decide what they think on car, and that's the, the hiring or firing factor, I think that's a bad thing. I think you need, uh, right now, Mark Davis needs to step back and say, okay, I don't have a John Gruden. I need somebody that's going to be running this franchise. If it's not Mayock, who's it going to be? Then let that GM pick a coach. Then let that GM and coach together decide if they want to keep their quarterback. But I'm with you. Aaron Rodgers, I, I think, is a pipe dream. You know, and, and even the conversation of, of Russ, like I'm just – well, I sat on air with ESPN in, in February when we ran a whole campaign that was all around unprecedented movement at the quarterback position because that's what everybody expected. And what did we get? We got, like, Stafford and Goff? Like, is that unprecedented? Like, I, I mean, I still – until I see Aaron Rodgers walk away from Green Bay, I'm, I'm going to wonder if they find a way to get it done. The same thing can be said about Russ. And there's going to be so many teams, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, for example, competing for those names also, like – I just don't think it's as easy as we're just going to bring Russ here. That 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 to me that's a, a pipe dream. So and, and by the way, I know long-winded answers, but I'm lucky to get mm-hmm. to cover college football a mm-hmm. lot for ESPN. I can tell you flat out, there might we might get lucky. There might be that guy in this draft. But right now, from watching all of these guys, like there is not a single quarterback in this draft that I would bank the future of the Raiders on. Not at all. So since we're talking big picture here. And just without this is without mentioning the quarterback position. If you had Mark Davis's ear right now, he sat you down and said, "Look, Jason, what should we do? What is the one move that you would make, whether it be head coach, general manager, or roster move? What is the one move that you would want to see the Raiders make this off season, next off season?" I'll give you I'll give you two answers to that because okay. one thing that they need to do internally is as soon as the window opens to get Max signed to big money, you do that. Pass pass rushers. I like quarterbacks. They only get more money constantly. Mm-hmm. Also, it sends the right message to the locker room that, hey, you come in here and you achieve great things, you're going to be paid like it. So I would take care of that. But the one thing this team needs, in my mind, that, that Mark Davis uh, should absolutely take a look at is a veteran voice that can come in and say, hey, this is the way things need to be done. And it's funny. I've been uh, I, I've been hosting these uh, reaction shows, the Man in the Arena podcast, and uh, and show that's on ESPN+. Plus. It's all about every year of Tom Brady – that he went to the Super Bowl. And, you know, painful to watch the one that involved the tuck rule, obviously. But what's interesting is that when you go back to it and you actually watch those, Brady talked about how it was Willie McGinnis that set him aside one day and was like, hey, I need you to start doing this. And it was Teddy Bruschi that pulled him aside at the Super Bowl and said, you're too amped up. I need you to take a deep breath. I need you to step back. Like the one thing that the Patriots, we talk about Brady and Belichick always, but the one thing the Patriots did was they surrounded the locker room with veteran guys that have been around the league that knew what it takes to win. And I keep looking at, you know, for whatever the stupid conversation is about dancing on the logo, a halftime, like <laughs> before the game for Kansas City. The one thing I'd say there is, like, obviously Derek Carr's answer afterwards told you that he's not that guy. Like, he's going to do yep. what he thinks his teammates want to be loved and supported. That's one type of leadership. My question is, who in that locker room has the experience has the resume, has the rings to stand up in front of the locker room and say, hell no, we're not doing that. This is what we're going to do. And the great teams have a guy that can do that. Rodney Harrison was even a big example of that with New England. They brought him over from, at the time, San Diego. And they talked about how in New England, he came in right away and was like, y'all practice soft. We're going to practice hard. Who's the guy that can come in and immediately get that cachet? That's the sort of person that I think the Raiders more so. Casey Hayward was a little of that this year, but I I think the Raiders need to go out and get themselves a leader in the locker room that can play at a high level. I don't care 
what position it is. They need that dog that comes in with that attitude. Yeah, well said, Jason. I mean, that, that alpha dog changed that culture and, and have some accountability there, too, because that's exactly what I said about the whole logo thing in Kansas City was, you know, you just didn't have that guy to step up and say, hey, guys, this is not a good idea. This right. is not. Let's go out and win. We just lost five or six games. Let's not do this. Let's go out and show it on the field instead. So uh, well, well said. Follow Jason on Twitter at Jason Fitz, F-I-T-Z. And, of course, you can follow him, ESPN. He's all over the place. And keep drinking that Woodson whiskey, my man. I got a bottle here at home as well, enjoying it very much. And love your videos when you get ready for for game day for Raider Nation. Well, uh, we're going to keep drinking. Remember, the little elves that figure out the playoffs for ESPN, they've run all the numbers. And they say it clearly. If the Raiders win every game the rest of this season, got about a 95% chance to make the playoffs. There you go. Might not have been a good year. Might not have been the year we expected, but still in front of this team. So maybe we celebrate a little bit. All right, there you go. Jason, thanks, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate it. Thanks, boys. Appreciate it. All right, there you go. Jason Fitz, we are on top of a break. We're going to come back. Mo and I will finish up the show. We'll also talk to Benjamin Albright uh, about the Bronco game coming up on Sunday. You're listening to Silver and Black tonight only here on The Mightier 1090. to Scott and Moe on Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 AM. Welcome back to Silver and Black tonight here on SoCal Sports Talk. That, of course, is the Mightier 1090. Scott Cobranson, Moe Moten with you. We're going to shift gears now. We're going to talk about the Raiders game this Sunday, the day after Christmas, with the Denver Broncos as they go back into the AFC West deep down in their rivalry bag. And to do that, we're going to talk to Benjamin Albright, KOA. He's the co-host of Broncos Tonight, LFL Insider. You can follow him on Twitter, at Albright NFL. Benjamin, thanks for being with us. Let's jump right into this. Give us sort of, you know, it's been it's been several weeks since the Raiders and the Broncos uh, wrangled. It was the week after John Gruden was forced out and resigned as coach. The Raiders kind of responded emotionally, went to Denver, won that game behind Rich Bisaccia. But since that time, uh, the Raiders have had a lot of trouble, as you know. I know you talked to our good friend Vic Tafer on your show uh, this week. And uh, when you look at the Broncos, though, they've kind of been up and down, had some big wins, had some losses. I think they wish they could get back. But when you look at this roster and a lot of the fans, and, of course, you do a lot of interaction with the fans, but they, they've had no pro bowlers for the first time since 1980. Um, what's the kind of overall sense for where this roster's at to where this team needs to be, where John Elway wants to build the Broncos into a championship team again? Well, um, you know, I think the fan sense, you know, kind of overall is that this is a very talented roster. I think it's a quarterback away, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that that's really just kind of the way they look at it. Um, there are some other areas that they could probably get a little stronger, but, you know, overall the roster is, fairly talented um I, I think most people probably think that Patrick Cannon and Justin Simmons were, were snubbed you know as far as the Pro Bowl goes otherwise it's it's probably fair I mean you look at the the productivity um and while some of these players might be good you know Jerry Judy Cortland Sutton Ben Patrick uh if you don't have a quarterback and get them the football you know, what are you going to do so you know I I think there's a I think there's a trade-off there um that said <clears throat> you know John Elway's not really involved anymore he's basically on the business side of the house George Payton's a general manager and um, you know, he, he, he's been lifed out uh, since he took over this year. His, his draft class was very strong. 
Uh, this is the one thing they really need to solve is that quarterback position. And, you know, he came on board. He asked the coaching staff what they wanted, what they needed to win. Uh, Pat Shermer said he needed Teddy Bridgewater, a guy he worked with, a veteran quarterback. They brought him in, and Teddy just hasn't really hadn't really done it. Um, so Teddy uh, took the concussion. Obviously, this past week, so Drew uh, Locke is going to be starting against the Raiders. You guys are probably familiar with him. He's had some uh, had some clunkers against the Raiders, so that'll be uh, <laughs> that'll be interesting to see. Um, it's also interesting to see, you know, other uh, look at the the Raiders roster as a whole and the Raiders team as a whole and where they've come from the last time the Broncos played them. You know, when the Broncos played them, they were considered one of the best teams in football. And you know, since then you, uh, you know, you kind of lost the the Gruden thing, and and that was the first week of that. And then the Henry Ruggs and Arnett, and you know, it's just uh, it's so it's so interesting that when the Raiders lead the NFL in twenty plus yard plays, and you guys haven't had one in two weeks, <laughs> so that, that goes to kind of say something. It does. Yeah, just jumping in here, Momo, really quick, Ben. Uh, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I think the Broncos have set themselves up to attract a top QB, maybe if a Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson are disgruntled after the season. They locked in their wide receivers, Corlin Sutton and Tim Patrick, into new deals. Were those signs more just about more than just keeping good players around, or was this a long-term vision in, in playing here with those signings? I think it's both. You know, I, I think uh... – uh, if you're anytime you're signing two wide receivers to big money contracts like that, while you also have Jerry Judy on a rookie deal that says, "Hey, look, uh, uh, we're making changes this offseason because we're not signing these guys to big money if we're not getting them on football." That doesn't make any sense. So, part of it is George Payton's commitment to changing the culture. John Elway was uh, was more of a you know a mercenary type person. Uh, he, he liked to comb free agency, bring guys in, and um, and that was kind of really his deal. Uh, keep trying to get guys in free agency and turn and 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 turn and burn the roster that way. George Payton wants to draft and develop and, and, and kind of build internally. And, you know, the first thing he did, pick up on Miller's options. Now he let him trade on. But, um, you know, he, he paid Justin Simmons, got him off the franchise tag, paid Shelby Harris. Uh, now he's paid Cortland and Tim Patrick. And, you know, uh, John Elway didn't really have a propensity for doing that. When John would draft guys and they would come for the second contract, most guys knew they were playing for a big money contract somewhere else. And so, um, that, that's, that's, that was kind of the thing, you know. And so now uh, George is trying to do a better job of making the Broncos a family, a football family. And, you know, if you if you do everything you're supposed to, you'll get paid by this organization and, you know, change that culture. So I, I think it's both. I, I think signing those receivers to that deal, it's it's part of the culture. It's, 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 it's part of a long-term strategy as well. Okay. So Ian Rappaport popped up on the Pat McAfee show, and he said this is the biggest start of Drew Locke's career. One, do you agree mm-hmm. with that statement? And does Drew Locke, do you think Drew Locke still has a chance to be the guy in Denver? Um, I mean, a chance, yeah, but we're talking like 1%, 2%. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's the biggest start of his career because it would signal to anyone else who was interested, hey, I'm still here, and I, you know, this staff just didn't bother to develop me. Um, so that's, you know, I, I think that would be the thing. Drew Locke looked really good in preseason and in training camp. Um, you know, I, in my opinion, he beat out Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, this coaching staff did everything they could to hand Teddy Bridgewater the job. And Drew, you know, he threw more touchdowns. He threw fewer interceptions than Teddy in training camp uh, in the preseason. They had, uh, they had some fan days out here at training camp where they tried to set Teddy Bridgewater up by giving him, like, easy red zone stuff. And he, would, you know, he just had a horrible day. Um, they tried to set him up in the Minnesota Vikings game to, to come in and have this savior narrative and give him the job. And, and, and Drew out played him in that game, too. And, you know, it's just uh, it's just funny. Like, the staff just, just was so sour on Drew Locke after last year. They just weren't willing to, to put the effort in to do it and went with Teddy Bridgewater. Well, you know, Teddy's throwing for 66% on third down. That's fifth best in the NFL in completion percentage. Uh, but he's only completing – or, excuse me, he's only converting 33% 
mm-hmm. of, his, of his third down tries, which is the, the largest disparity in the NFL in 30 years. Um, you know, it takes hyper conservatives, uh, you know, conservatives to, to a whole new, uh, whole new <laughs> level of football. So it uh, makes Alex Smith look like Jay Cutler. So, it, it, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it really is a situation where what Teddy is doing is just not conducive to scoring points at the end of the day. For this Broncos team to be, be better than 500, they need somebody that can do that. The last game before Teddy Bridgewater got knocked out against Cincinnati Bengals, Bridgewater had seven drives. Uh, he got past the 50-yard line twice and barely got past it at that. Uh, Drew Locke had four drives. He got to the red zone twice. Uh, now he had, a, in, in typical Drew Locke roller coaster fashion, one of those was a touchdown, and one of those was the weirdest fumble you've ever seen in your life. But uh, you know, it, it's it's still Drew Locke puts you in a better position to score points. The problem is you have to live with the Drew Locke experience and mm. what ridiculous turnover is going to happen today. No doubt. Benjamin Albright, NFL insider, the co-host of KOA's Broncos Tonight. Uh, and, and Benjamin, when we look at the, the the Broncos team, especially on offense, the running game, and I think they're going to run all over the Raiders. I mean, with Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, what they've been able to do there. Talk a little bit about that tandem and the offensive line and why it's been successful for the Broncos in 2021. Well, an interesting note, by the way, Lloyd Christianberry, the starting center, is going to be out with COVID. So, Quinn mm. Miner is probably going to kick over to center. We may see Austin Schlotman. We don't know yet. But uh, there's going to be a little reshuffling along that line in order to accommodate that. Uh, that said, um, yeah, they will try to run the football. That's the, the bread and butter of this football team is what the best at. Melvin Gordon, not quite as sexy with the, the big, you know, beast mode runs that uh, that Javante Williams has. Melvin Gordon doesn't get stepped into the line. He doesn't take negative or zero-yard carries. He falls forward and gets two or three every time. Uh, Javante has one of the highest stuff rates in the NFL. I mean, he gets stuffed on 20% of his runs, but then he also rips off of highlight reel runs, and, and so it, it kind of makes up for it. So uh, I think you'll 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 see a healthy dose of both. They'll alternate series. Melvin will take most of the short yardage work, goal line work. Uh, Javante will take a lot of the between Tony's work as well. Um, and then you'll see you know both catch and passes out of the backfield as well. It'll be a little bit different with Drew Lock back there uh, because you know Teddy just looks for the backs and the tight ends. Drew looks for the receivers. So, and you could see the, you know, the sheer joy on Tim Patrick's face when he caught that <laughs> touchdown pass from Drew Luck last week. It was the first time a Broncos wide receiver had caught a touchdown pass since the Dallas Cowboys game about six weeks ago. So, um, you know, it, it's it's going to look a little bit different, but it all starts with that ground game. And Benjamin, I've, I've been so impressed with the <clears throat> the Broncos defense. So, so they trade Von Miller to the Rams and everybody outside who doesn't follow the Broncos or the AFC West just assume that that would be a massive dent against uh, this Broncos defense, but they've given up a division low 243 points and, and have done a good job. Talk about that mix. And you know, how much of that is, is, is Vic Fangio? I know he's the head coach, but obviously his defensive pedigree and what he's been able to do, how much of that is him? How much is the coordinator and how much uh, uh, is that roster and what they've built on defense? Well, it's been interesting. I mean, nobody wants to take away from the career of Von Miller. Von's Mm -hmm. a future Hall of Famer. He's an excellent player, but it might have been addition by subtraction shipping him off to the Rams. Uh, Von Miller's kind of leadership approach in the locker room wasn't resonating with the younger guys. It was was kind of, uh, we're all here to have fun, let's keep it loose, that kind of thing. And a lot of these younger guys wanted accountability. You know, mm-hmm. they wanted to be able to get up in somebody's grill if they messed up, and and Von wasn't having that. Well, now you can kind of you, you kind of have that with the new leadership of Justin Simmons and Shelby Harris. Uh, there, there's a more I think passionate play from this defense. They've gotten better since Von's been gone, which is incredible. Uh, and so that's that's really been a thing. Uh, you know, Vic Fangio, everybody knows he's one of the best out there, and, and it's his defense, and they they do really well, and this defense is doing really well. 
the, the question really is going to be is whether Vic's going to get another season or not. Yeah. Um, you know, the offensive coordinator and special teams coach will be gone at the end of the year, any which way you slice it. But, you know, there's scenarios where Vic Fangio stays around, but I'd say it's less than 50-50 that he's still the coach after this year. Interesting. Yeah, it's going to be a good game. I mean, both these teams, uh, 500, got a scratch and claw trying to get to – a chance at the playoffs, even though that's it's it's a slim margin. Still, if they win out, uh, they have a, they have some good shots there. So Benjamin Albright, KOA Broncos tonight. Benjamin, as always, my friend, thank you so much for joining us and for the time. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care. Take care. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks again to Benjamin Albright, KOA in Denver Broncos tonight. Always great stuff from him, and uh, appreciate that discussion. Good discussion on the Raiders versus the Broncos coming up on Sunday. Now it's time something I've done for four years on the show here on Silver and Black today in its incarnations in Las Vegas and now here on uh, the Mightier 1090. And that is, I have a Twas the Night Before Christmas. It's a Raiders, Raider Nation Christmas that I read. Get you in the mood. It is Christmas Eve after all, Mo, right? We got we to do a little bit of stuff here. Got to get festive and traditional. That's know? right. I, that's the way, I, at least I look at it. If you don't celebrate Christmas, you'll still enjoy this anyway if you're a Raider fan. So so here it goes. I've changed some of the lyrics uh, or the, the, the text from last year, I was going to rewrite the whole thing, but I didn't because uh, I, I started getting really negative with thoughts about offense and <laughs> coaching quotes. And so so I said, I said, you know what, I'm just going to go back to last year's. I'm going to update it. So that's what I did. So here we go with Twas the Night Before Raider Nation Christmas. Twas the night before Christmas when all through the team not a creature was stirring. Certainly not an offense. The silver and black helmets were hung by the locker with care in hopes that St. Al Davis soon would be there. The players were all nestled all snug in their meeting rooms while visions of Super Bowls danced in their heads and Mark Davis in his mini and I in my silver and black today cap had just settled down our brains for a long off-season nap. When out on the field there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my VIP suite to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like Cliff Branch, tore open the window and threw up the sash. The lights of the Las Vegas Strip below gave a luster of Sunday night football to objects below, when what to my wondering eyes did appear but a black Cadillac and eight Raider legends in gear. With a crafty maverick driver so lively and courageous, I knew in a moment he must be St. Al Davis. More rapid than Tim Brown, his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Jackson, now Flores, now Plunkett and Otto. On Stabler, on Blanda, on Woodson and Tatum. To the top of Allegiant Stadium, to the top of the torch. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As balls that before Daryl LaMonica let fly when they meet with an obstacle mount to the sky, so up to the highest deck the Raiders they flew with a caddy full of Lombardi trophies and Super Bowl rings too. And then, in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the swift running and ear-rattling hits of each silver and black grate. As I drew in my head and was turning around down the player's tunnel, St. Al Davis came with a bound. He was dressed all in white from his head to his foot, and his clothes were sparkling clean, and his sunglasses stayed put. A bundle of free agents and draft picks he flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his hair, how airy. 
His eyes were like lasers. His nose smelled a Hail Mary. His mouth chewing gum was all focused with a snarl. <laughs> of course, I lost my place. Uh, all focused with a snarl, and the bracelet on his wrist made it clear who ran the show. The rolled-up game roster he held tight in his hand, and the opponent's offensive scheme, it was just as he planned. He had the Warriors face in the resolve of Machiavelli that peered at opponents, figuring them out just like Jacob Bernoulli. Look it up. He was brilliant and hard to stump a right-focused coach. And I was in awe when I saw him. I dare not approach. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled the roster with a coach, a GM, and a wide receiver, then turned with a jerk. And laying his finger aside his nose and giving a nod up Allegiant Stadium, he rose. He climbed in his Cadillac to his team's coach, gave a whistle, and away they flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him explain as he drove down the strip, Happy Christmas to All Raider Nation and to my son Mark. Just win, baby. Just win, baby, now. All right, there you go. There it is. <laughs> there we go. Well, you curmudgeons out there. Yeah, that's putting right. you back in the Christmas spirit, putting that's all right. the car arguments with some Christmas cheer there. <laughs> Scott, well, Branson, look at that. Oh, there you go, man. You know, what are you going to do? You got you to do something talent. to lighten the lead. Uh, look. Okay, so, Bo, we have just a few minutes left here after our Christmas uh, fun and, and whether or not, and, and including my, my flub. But, hey, you know, it's the way it goes. It's radio. Um, Mo, this game against the Broncos on Sunday, I, I told you earlier in the week, I think this is the last game the Raiders have a good shot of winning. Um, offense still concerns me that Broncos defense is still very good. Their, their running offense is top five in the league. How do you see this one coming? I see a close, close win for the Raiders at home, and I don't know that they, they crack 20 points, uh, but I think they might actually score more than 14. Yeah, Raiders fans are going to hate me for this one. I, I think they lose this game. Do you? <laughs> Honestly, be, yeah, because the Raiders haven't been able to score points, and the Broncos' defense is good. I believe they're giving up the second-fewest points, four-fewest yards. I think this is the game where the Broncos utilize their their ground attack. I know a lot of people saying the Raiders can take advantage of Drew Locke. I wouldn't be surprised if Drew Locke doesn't throw the ball more than 30 times, mm. and they just hand off to Melvin Gordon to third and Javante Williams and attack the Raiders' run defense. Yeah, that's what I'm most concerned for the defense of the Raiders is just that this Broncos team, you know, everybody's talking about Drew Lago. It's great. He's going to turn over the ball and the Raiders are going to benefit from that. But if they run the ball, even if, like you said, Drew Locke throws the ball a lot more, they're still going to be able to mix it up and do what the Raiders have been unable to do on offense, which is is get that balance of run versus pass. Uh, so that you keep the defense on their heels. So, so I, I'm gonna. I'm maybe it's just the Christmas season, and I'm trying to be uh, uh, court. I'm trying to be cheerful and and make Raider Nation feel good as they head into Christmas tomorrow. But but I like the Raiders in a close one. I don't think it's going to be pretty again. Uh, but Mo's got the Broncos, so there you go. Mo, my friend, have a wonderful Christmas tomorrow, and we'll talk to you Sunday on our Las Vegas show. Sounds good. Everyone, enjoy your holiday. Take some time off from the Derek Carr debates for just a minute. <laughs> have some cookies. Have some milk. Welcome Santa into your homes. Enjoy the season. Enjoy the festivities. And just be happy. There be happy go. about a win for as long as it lasts until the game comes on. And if my prediction is right, you may may not be so happy. You may be happy. <laughs> Who knows? Well, <laughs> yes. And be, and, be, and be thankful and feel blessed that you're above ground, breathing, and able to talk about Raider football. So enjoy that. Mo, have a wonderful Christmas. And to everybody out there, have a great Christmas tomorrow. We'll talk to you on our Sunday show, 9 a.m. Pacific. 
out on the fan in Las Vegas. All right, for Mo Moten, I am Scott Branson. This has been Silver and Black tonight, only here on SoCal Sports Talk's leader, that, of course, the mightier 1090. Merry Christmas, Raider Nation. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us. Please catch Silver and Black tonight, every Friday at 6 p.m. on the Mightier 1090 AM. SoCal Sports Talk. is coming round. The Christmas snow is white on the ground. When old Santa gets into town, he'll be coming down the chimney down. He'll be coming down the chimney down. It's the holiday season. And Santa Claus has got a toy For every good girl and good little boy Santa's a great big bundle of joy When he's coming down the chimney down When he's coming down the chimney down He'll have a big fat pack upon his back And lots of goodies for you and for me So leave a peppermint stick for old Saint Nick Hanging on the Christmas tree it's the holiday season, the holiday season. so a hoop-dee-doo and dickery-dock, don't forget to hang up your sock, cause just exactly at 12 o'clock, he'll be coming down the chimney down, he'll be coming down the chimney down, he'll have a big fat pack upon his back. And lots of goodies for you and for me So leave a peppermint stick for old St. Nick Hanging on the Christmas tree It's the holiday season So a hoop-dee-doo and dickery-dock Hey Raider Nation, are you looking for an independent news source covering the Raiders in Las Vegas? Check out the only site that's been doing it for the past four years, VegasSportsToday.com. With in-depth daily coverage of the Raiders and news and opinions from a stable of talented writers, VegasSportsToday.com is your independent source for news out of the capital of Raider Nation, Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, and by the way, we cover all Vegas sports, including boxing, UFC, esports, and the hottest ticket in the NHL, the Vegas Golden Knights. Get on your phone now and check out vegasportstoday.com your independent source for raiders news no corporate bs just pure raider nation that's vegasportstoday.com